uh, he asked for a very specific song for the praise team to play. Um, and it's, it's not a normal song, but I, I, I think some of you might know it. So it goes a little something like this. And the sign said, long-haired freaky people need not apply. So I tucked my hair up under my hat and I went in to ask him why. He said, you look like a fine old stand in your head. I think you do. So I took off my hat said, imagine that. Me working for you. Oh, sun, sun, everywhere sun. Blocking out the scenery, breaking my mind. You just don't do that. Can't you read the sun? Worship team, ladies and gentlemen. Very versatile, very versatile. In preparation for the message today, I wondered if we had a sign on our campus, and instead of reading St. Lawrence Lutheran Church and School, it read what we're about or who was welcome here, what would our sign say? Would our sign say that you have to look a certain way? believe a certain way or behave a certain way for you to be welcome on our campus. It's interesting to consider. One of the main issues that the church faces today is that we are no longer in the center of culture as we once were, perhaps back in the 50s and 60s, being influencers of surrounding society. And instead we find ourselves more on the outside looking in. And there are those who do shape ideas in our culture that are communicating things about us, about the Christian church, that are not in line with what we believe, or at least what we believe we are about. And that's what the sermon is about today. Welcome to weekend four of our spring sermon series, Reopening Christianity. Today we're going to tackle the question, are we as the Christian church known for what we are for or what we are against? Are we known for what we are for or what we are against? To get started, let's review. These are the kind of things from my calculations and analysis that I believe the Christian church is for. Things like God the Father, God the Son Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. The true God, the triune God, the one God that we worship and serve. We're for things like creation and redemption and sanctification understanding the proper work and role of God the Father creating the heavens and the earth. The work of Jesus Christ the Son redeeming humanity through his life, death, and resurrection. And the Holy Spirit whose work is sanctification, that is bringing people to saving faith in Christ and then empowering them to live out that faith by producing the fruits of the Spirit. Things like love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. We're also for things like marriage and family and friendship and community. We support these entities and these institutions and we encourage them. We're also about being nice to folks. At least we're supposed to be. Serving the least of these among us and out in the community. And of course, sharing the gospel message of Jesus with everyone in the world. That's our central mission as a Christian congregation. Now, did I miss anything in that list? Is there anything in that list that we are about 
that we should be sure to communicate with other folks. None of the other services had anything to add either. If you do, please see me after the service. You usually do anyway and note things that I missed, right? But one thing I thought about was like, what about fish fries? That's not on the list. That's a good thing to include. <laughs> All right, so if these are the things that we're for, then what is it that we are against as the Christian church? And I thought about it again. And from my analysis and calculations, in general, I came up with this list. That we are against things like sin and death and the power and influence of the devil. And I think those are pretty common things to be against as a Christian church. I think you would agree with those, would you not? Yeah, you would agree with those. And more specifically, there are lists of sins from Scripture particularly from the Apostle Paul as he writes his epistles or his letters to the Christian congregations of his time. And I want to share one of these lists from Romans chapter 1 with you this morning. The Apostle Paul writes, They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. As we receive that list, as you hear that with your ears and read it with your eyes, would you agree that specifically those are kinds of things that we are against as a Christian congregation? Yeah, I think that you would. And while certainly we could add other misbehaviors to that list, it's, it's a pretty good list. And sometimes a little convicting too. We kind of see ourselves in some of those things and we're like, oh yeah, sometimes I'm tempted with that or ooh, sometimes, yeah, I misstep and, and I kind of get like that. That's the list that we think of as the Christian church, the things that we're against. That's also the list that's shared with us from God's word about what we are supposed to be against. It's interesting According to the world around us, we are known for things that we are against. And the list has changed over the decades. Back in the day, the list might have looked like this, that we were against sex, drugs, and rock and roll. In other words, I don't drink, smoke, or chew, or go out with girls who do. We are supposed to shape up or ship out. There was a way to live and a way not to live. And we were supposed to do the right thing. Here and now, I think that list would read more like this, that the Christian church is against things like abortion, same-sex marriage, and pretty much anything having to do with gender identity or fluidity, according to the world around us, the culture in which we live currently. I wonder how that came to be. If we understand who we are, what we're about and what we are against as Christian people. How is it that the world around us has a different idea? Is it because we're misunderstood? Is it the, the work and role of Satan to confuse and distort what we're really about, what we're truly for? Or is it something else? Because it's interesting, over the course of my career, while I have addressed some of these topics that you see before us on the screen, I could probably count on one hand, at maximum two hands, the number of times I've preached on those topics over the course of my career, and I'm somewhere in the middle. 
As I visit other Christian congregations and as I befriend other pastors and hear their messages as well, they seem to kind of follow the same pattern. They address sin, they talk about sin, but they talk about the struggles that people are facing. And not all people are facing those struggles that the culture says we are against. And so yes, they've addressed that over the course of their careers, but they're not harping on that every single weekend. And yet, when it comes to the media and the surrounding culture, that seems to what makes the news and gets repeated on those news cycles. Most of my messages were about Jesus, God's word, encouraging and supporting God's people as they struggle with their sins, as they receive the love and forgiveness of Christ, and then as they are empowered to place their faith into action for the sake of others. Most of the people I served did not struggle as much with those issues that we identified, that the culture thinks we're about. And they were and are incredibly polarizing topics politically, surrounded by deceit and fraught with anxiety and assumptions, as you well know. Friends, the message the world receives from the church, or at least that they perceive, is that women who struggle with the decision of whether to keep their baby or not are outside the grace of God. Or that gay people are not welcome in our family of faith and probably going to hell. That's not the message that we communicate, but somehow that's the message the world receives. I recall a story from my experience. I was a young adult. I think I was just entering into seminary at the time, and I was a com- having a conversation with uh, a man who was married, and had a child, and uh, was also struggling with homosexuality. And he said, Brad, every Christian person I know that I talk to says that I, I continue with this particular behavior and lifestyle that I will go to hell. And he said, Brad, what do you think? And I said, if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're going to go to heaven. Now, the struggle that you're experiencing, that's, that's related, but that's a different story. But when it comes to the grace of God, you've received the grace of God, you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you were going to heaven. And that was news to him. And friends, that's a problem. If that's how we are perceived from the culture, if that's the message that some Christian folks are sharing with others. And I think that that is part of the reason the culture reacts to the church as it does. We have some in our midst who perhaps go overboard with the law, who act like the Pharisees in Jesus' day. Remember the Pharisees? They were Jewish religious leaders who were very excited about the laws of Moses and ceremonial laws, but did not recognize Jesus as the promised Messiah. And so they were very concerned with how to worship and when to worship and where to worship and how to dress and how to look and how to behave, especially on certain days of the week. And for those folks who didn't believe and behave as the way they did, they were judgmental. And they had little but condemnation for them. I think some in the Christian church today act as modern day Pharisees. Look at this list of characteristics. Modern day Pharisees are arrogant and prideful, rigid and inflexible. They're know-it-alls. They're an expert on everything despite their education or experience. They often come across as judgmental, being holier than thou. They're negative, sometimes even nasty toward other people who are different. 
They're spiritually pessimistic, not offering hope to others, but rather condemnation. They're isolationists rather than community-minded. They're heavy on the law, light on the gospel. And they desire that the church would be cleansed of all sinners who, again, believe and behave and worship and do ministry differently than they do. There's one way to do this. There's the right way, the way we do it, the way we like it, the way we prefer it. To be sure, these are not the characteristics of someone who stands up for the truth of God's word or someone who courageously speaks truth in the public square or someone who compassionately shares their faith in Jesus with others. These, I believe, are unhealthy characteristics for a Christian person and certainly for a Christian congregation. Modern-day Pharisees, even though they would not label themselves as such, cherry-pick the scriptures for support instead of considering the gospel of Jesus and the whole counsel of God. They position themselves often in places of power in a Christian church or a nonprofit ministry so that they can lobby for their particular preference or enforce a favorite doctrine or practice. Areas of adiaphora or Christian freedom are very difficult for modern-day Pharisees to navigate. They often end up being in these positions of power because of, their, because of the overly graceful nature of church folks, because we are nice, because we are thoughtful, and sometimes we're deferential to those who, who have really strong personalities or who really have a, a perceived knowledge of the Bible. We can't really challenge them because they seem so certain and because they're coming across so powerfully. So we just uh, kind of take a step back and we don't engage them or challenge them. Now, just so we are clear about this whole idea of pharisaical folks among us, Jesus was none of these things. Jesus displayed very few of those characteristics. And Jesus modeled a different way to do ministry. As the true son of God and savior of the world, he embodied the truth of God's word and he upheld the standard of truth for our lives, but he also was especially graceful with people who struggled with sin. He never lowered a scriptural standard, instead he elevated the law, but he was very merciful with those who struggled under that law. And his approach to ministry was to listen to people, to love them where they were, and gently lead them to the truth. And friends, I believe that our approach should be similar. You know who Jesus was toughest on? His disciples, for one. His closest followers, who had been with him for three years, receiving his instruction, Learning from his example and even witnessing the miracles, sometimes empowered to do those miracles on behalf of Jesus for the sake of helping those in need around them. Jesus sometimes leaned very heavily on those disciples and was stern with them because he believed they ought to know better because of what they had seen and experienced with him. You know who Jesus was toughest on? The Pharisees. He called them a brood of vipers, whitewashed tombs, the sons of Satan. He had such red hot scorching words for the Pharisees of his day and age because they lorded it over the people with their focus on the law and they were not gracious and merciful with those in spiritual need. 
And yet for the folks who were living outside of the will of God for their lives, who did struggle with sin, or who were disenfranchised by society, he was gracious and gentle, kind and compassion, lifting up their countenance and offering them love and forgiveness instead of the guilt and shame that they were experiencing. So why this sermon? Why this question? Why are we considering this topic today? Well, for a big reason, I'm really tired of our congregation and denomination and Christian faith only being known for what we are against instead of what we are for. And like you, I want to show others how beautiful it is to live with Jesus because it is. We have a comfort and a confidence and security that I desire other people to experience for themselves in that relationship of truth and trust in Christ. So if we don't want to be known for what we are against, then what is the alternative? What are we for? Well, just from the scriptures that were read earlier by Mr. Redford, just from God's word from today, from those three chapters that total about 25 verses in total, this is a list of values that we distill. Things like faith, from 1 John 5, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Things like truth. Jesus said, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus continues in his high priestly prayer discussing character. For I sanctify them myself so that they too may be truly sanctified. To be sanctified is to be in step with the Spirit. Because it's the Holy Spirit who empowers us to follow God's word and to obey God's commands from that word and to live out our Christian lives. Unity, we found in today's scripture lessons. John 15, this is Jesus' high priestly prayer once again. Jesus prays for his disciples and for us. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one desiring the same unity among us as brothers and sisters in Christ as God has in the communication and the relationship of the Trinity among God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Joy, we found in today's scripture readings. These are Jesus' words again. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. How much of a measure? The full measure of the joy of Jesus within them. Christian comedian Ken Davis shares the story that after one of his comedy concerts, he was talking with some folks in the lobby area. And he came upon this person who had a stern look on his face and kind of a negative disposition about him. And he was telling Ken Davis how much he enjoyed the show. To which Ken responded, you know, that's interesting that you say that because I wouldn't believe you. It's like I have to send a missionary to your face. <laughs> now, rightly or wrongly, perhaps mildly offensive to that person, we as Christian people should have a joyful disposition about us. Some of us are a bit pessimistic in personality or negative in our approach or that was modeled for us in our childhood, in our upbringing. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, 
but it could be a challenge when it comes to witnessing to others. Joy should be central in the life of a Christian, even struggling with sin, even struggling with evil and suffering because we know that we have the victory in Christ. So yes, the joy, joy, joy of Jesus should be down in our hearts. Where? Down in our hearts. Down in our hearts to stay. Service was mentioned in the scriptures. Jesus' words again, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. God the Father sends Jesus to us, full of grace and truth, to seek and to save the lost. Jesus sends his disciples into the world to do the same thing, to communicate that message that Jesus did come to seek and save the lost. And of course, being witnesses, Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. That means by your lifestyle, by your beliefs and behaviors, by your attitudes and actions. You show others the difference that Christ has made in your life. And you do that with the people that God has placed in your life, first and foremost. Bill Maher is the host of Real Time on HBO. Bill Maher was raised in a Jewish home but identifies as an atheist. In his writing and in his speaking and in his media productions, Bill has claimed time and time again that Christians can't possibly know the mind of God, or the things that Christians and other religious folks claim to know, like what happens to us when we die. Instead, Bill Maher believes that Christianity and other religions are mass psychosis, just brainwashing that ultimately leads to hatred and bigotry and violence. And he uses some religions in the Middle East to demonstrate that claim. Bill Maher says this, if you come across someone who tells you that they know what happens to you when you die, believe me, they don't. They don't know. And how do I know this? Because I don't know, and they do not possess powers that I do not have. Well, Mr. Mari would beg to differ. Friend, we do possess powers that you do not have because we are baptized. And because we are baptized, we have received the indwelling presence and power of the Holy Spirit. We have received saving faith in Christ. We have received the ability to know the mind of God as it's revealed to us in God's word. And we have also received the opportunity to share our faith in Jesus Christ, to share that saving knowledge of Jesus with others through our behaviors with them through our ministry to them, through the compassion that we show. And with regard to bigotry and hatred and violence, yes, that is the, out, the illogical outworking of some belief systems that we encounter, some other world religions. But for a person who is following Jesus, for a person who aligns their character and their conduct in accordance with the word of God, that's not on the table because we're about things like faith and truth and character and unity and joy and service and witness. That's what we're about because that's what Jesus is about. That's what we're about because that's what God's word commands us to be about. And that's what we're about because that is what the Holy Spirit empowers us to be about before a non-believing world. Mr. Marr, 
we do have power that you do not possess. We can understand things that you cannot fathom. And we can change and make a difference on this planet. And in fact, billions of people do it all over this globe every single day. But you don't report on that. Instead, you report like the rest of the culture about the things that you believe the church is against. Instead of focusing and recognizing the things that the church is for. Friends, you are baptized. Thanks be to God. You have the presence of the Holy Spirit inside of you. Thanks be to God. And you have the promise of eternity because of the person and work of Jesus. And you have the power and the opportunity to share this good news and to show others just how beautiful it is to live with him. And all God's people agreed and said, amen. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we thank you, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit, we do know what we are about as your people. Lord, help us to counter this culture that surrounds us, not with a negative attitude or with a critical disposition or a judgmental nature, but Lord, by being what Jesus was about in his ministry, by being about things like faith and love and compassion and character and kindness and joy and service to others. Lord, help us to approach our ministry, to approach our lives as Jesus approached his ministry with us. Listening, loving, and serving, and then leading them to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. All these things we ask and pray in his name. And all God's people said, amen.